0: This is The Guardian. I'm Gabrielle Jackson, coming to you from Gadigal land, and this is The Full Story, Newsroom Edition, where Guardian Australia's editors discuss the news of the week. The Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Rishi Sunak, stood behind a podium this week.
1: Today we are introducing new legislation to keep my promise to you.
0: With a familiar three-word slogan printed across the front.
1: My policy is very simple, to stop the boats.
0: The familiar language shapes familiar policies. The inability to seek asylum, forcible boat turnbacks, offshore and indefinite detention, leading to an immeasurable human toll. But two decades after Australia implemented a similar solution... People still languish in detention on Nauru. Today, I'm talking to editor in chief Lenore Taylor and head of news Mike Tisher about the enduring cruelty of Australia's immigration regime and if the UK will learn from our mistakes. It's Friday, the tenth of March.
2: Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music. For all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com/newsadfree. That's amazon.com/newsadfree to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
0: Good morning, Lenore. Morning, Gabs. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. This week, the Prime Minister of the UK, Rishi Sunak, made an announcement which seemed eerily familiar, Lenore.
4: Can Mm. you tell us what happened and why it was in our news too? He was actually standing at a podium that said, stop the boats."
1: My policy is very simple. It is this country and your government who should decide who comes here and not criminal gangs. Because when I said at the beginning of the year that we would stop the boats, I meant it.
4: Which is eerily, horribly familiar for anyone who's been paying any attention in Australia for the last decade or more.
1: From now on, any asylum seeker who arrives
3: in Australia by boat will have no chance of being settled in Australia. As the most compassionate thing you can do is stop the boats. Uh, we have stopped the boats. Operation Sovereign uh, Borders is the government's response to stopping the flow of illegal
1: boat arrivals to Australia.
4: And the UK has been quite clear for quite some time now that it's trying to model its asylum policy on the Australian solution and the driving forces are similar to what was happening here. You know, they've got an increasing number of people arriving by boat across the English Channel and then seeking asylum. I think it was 45,000 in 2022 and that number is going up. Up, although I did see the Home Secretary making wild claims that it might be $100 million. I don't know where she got that from. Anyway, so Sunak is announcing a new bill provisionally called the Illegal Migration Bill, sounds familiar, that would require the Home Secretary to remove as soon as reasonably practicable to Rwanda or a safe third country anybody arriving in the UK by boat and seeking asylum And those who arrive would be prevented from ever claiming asylum in the UK. So great. That's the Australian solution exported to the UK. Congratulations, us.
0: Will it work, Mike?
3: Well, I think that's one question. And another question is whether the point of this is really to try to put in place a system that will, quote quotes" work or actually whether they're just trying to set up an argument for the next UK election... um, Where have we heard that before? (laughs) (laughs) ..to position themselves on asylum arrivals, which obviously are a serious and genuine problem. Will it work? Well, it clearly seems to breach international law, as even the Home Secretary sort of acknowledged. She would not confirm that it would not breach the European Convention on Human Rights, to which Britain is a signatory. And then there's also the question of the uh, International Refugees Convention, which Britain is also a signatory. Then there's the question of where they would take the people who were detained. They mostly come from countries where it's impossible to send them back to their Rwandan solution, which is sort of notionally based on Australia's Nauru and PNG. Detention camps is also still subject to legal challenge and at best was going to only accommodate a few hundred people, even if it survives those challenges. So they don't have those facilities to detain them in the UK at the moment. So there's kind of all kinds of questions, practical, legal, moral, ethical questions about this solution. So it does seem at the very least a reasonable question to ask whether really they want to set it up and put the blame on other people for their failure to implement it as the solution.
4: If we take them at their word uh, for a moment and presume that they do actually want to try to implement something like what Australia did, then I do think that the UK public really needs to have their eyes wide open to what that actually involves and not let the politicians sort of obfuscate that. So, you know, in Australia, we know that a combination of turning back boats to Indonesia and what is euphemistically called offshore processing, has stopped boats from arriving. But it only works, or the offshore processing bit of that, only really works if it is an exercise in like effectively demonstrative cruelty. I mean, that is the point of it. The point of it is to really crush the hope out of a group of people, a collateral damage group of people, and by doing that, demonstrate to anybody else who might be thinking of coming that it is a hopeless undertaking. And crushing human hope is a really ugly thing to do. As our reporter Ben Doherty wrote this week, in Australia's case it meant at least 12 people died in those camps, some were murdered by guards, some by suicide... Psychiatrists sent there said that they were inherently toxic, akin to torture. The United Nations say they violate the Convention Against Torture. They're incredibly expensive. Just this last iteration has cost us ten billion dollars. But I just really think when politicians talk about it, it's all they make it sound like an orderly. Well, then we'll just send them to Rwanda slash Nauru for processing, like that's a quick and easy and orderly system. Whereas if you really mean to do that, if you really mean to use that as a demonstration that people shouldn't come, then it is by design, it has to be by design, cruel and hope crushing. That is the point of it. And I don't think the British debate should be allowed to kind of sugarcoat that.
0: Mm. One of the things that happened in Australia is they tried to make the camps on Nauru and Papua New Guinea incredibly secretive. Mm. How hard was it to get journalists into those camps to report on the conditions and will they be able to maintain that level of secrecy in Britain?
3: Presumably if they're in in Rwanda, it's not a closed country, it would be possible to go there, but it's not as easy to seal off of Nauru as Nauru is to which journalists are still not, you no. know, legally allowed to go to by the Nauruan government to look at conditions there. But as Lenore says, the stories of poor treatment are the stories they do want to get out there. In but a way. so
4: long as you can't put a human face, a name, because then they become harder to justify.
3: Mm. Yes. But I just think in the in the UK case there is no even on its own terms, there is no There's no way to... There's no place that mm. is equivalent to Nauru and, and Minus Island where they could plausibly suggest they're going to put uh, anything like the number of people they're talking about.
4: But they are sort of doing that obfuscation. There was that piece that our former Foreign Minister, Alexander Downer, wrote, I think it was in the Daily Mail this week, where he described the Rwanda solution as being a safe holding zone where would-be migrants can live while their applications are processed. Like Now, I mean, if it was a conveyor belt where the people come across the channel in a boat and then they get shipped to Rwanda for six months and then they go quickly and easily to, you know, a safe third country, that would not be a deterrent these people are by definition absolutely desperate to create a life they are running away from bombs they're running away from you know the Taliban wanting to kill them or to deny any rights for their wives and their, their daughters so you know they could stick out six months in Rwanda it isn't a safe holding zone while applications are processed. There is quite literally nowhere for these people to go. And then he says, of course, a humane, well-organised system must exist for refugees fleeing war zones or others seeking asylum. Like, he knows that doesn't exist. There's like 100 million forcibly displaced people in the world. There's like 32 million refugees. This is just nonsense. And he's also doing the dehumanising thing, which is what we saw here as well. He says... We simply cannot continue to allow illegal migration to be masterminded by these gangs. So they always concentrate on the people smugglers who are doing illegal things and deserve to be prosecuted with all the consequent damage to our education system, our housing, our economy and our crime level. So like slick segue there from the people smugglers to unjustifiable claims about the asylum seekers who are somehow coming for our housing and our economy, which, to Mike's point about the political potency of this, in a time like this with economic uncertainty and and unemployment and cost of living as they are in the UK, is a quite potent political argument to make. And we know that,
0: as Lenore said, it doesn't happen fast, especially when they've got no place to go. How long have people been on Nauru for
3: now, Mike? Uh, Well, no one's been sent there since 2014. Anyone who's still there, and there's still about 150 people there, they've all been there since uh, 10 years or more than 10 years.
4: But if Mike's theory is right and this is setting something up ahead of the election, then that is reminiscent of Australia as well, right? Because, you know, in 2001, John Howard was in terrible political trouble and then the Tampa came and the Children Overboard incident happened and all that history that we know so well, and it really... Pursuing this argument as a political argument against a Labor Party that has a real constituency that demands more consideration of the humanitarian concerns is a really potent or can be a really potent political wedge for a conservative party, particularly one on the ropes, which Rishi Sunat undoubtedly is according to the polls.
3: There are serious questions for the left here as well. I think it's fair to say, even in Australia, in the past 20 years, they have not really succeeded in coming up with a a policy on refugees that is both popular, acceptable in public opinion, and much more practical, and offers a much more humane solution than the one that the Coalition have pursued there are some signs, you might call green shoots, but there are still people on Nauru and PNG who the Labor Party has not found a solution, you know, has not found a, a way to get them off and deal with in a, a humane and practical way. And the same goes for the for the Labor Party in, in the UK. feels like they have to come up with something much more imaginative. It's all very well saying this is against international law. We believe in international law. Of course, that's true. But there has to be more after that because if you just leave it like that, then you're just left with boats crossing the ocean. And that is not objectively in itself a good thing either.
4: I mean, Labor here is obviously just hoping that the status quo holds, that the former government through the cruelty of offshore processing of the former government and Labor before them and the turning back of boats to Indonesia means that the boats aren't coming. So the the problem is not on our shores anymore. This problem is sitting there in Indonesian refugee camps and sitting there in the refugee camps around the world. And then we can have the sort of orderly migration program that everybody seems to want to have, which basically means orderly as coming in our front door, not orderly as in displaced persons around the world. And I think Labor here just wants to kind of keep that equilibrium, if you like, and not restart the problem and have to deal with it all over again. but. Labour in the UK
3: hasn't got that luxury. There's a couple of examples from Europe that sort of show how things might be done somewhat better. For The first one was, um, it was in 2015 when Angela Merkel decided to accept many of the Syrian refugees who were coming into Europe at that time. And then more recently with refugees from Ukraine, where governments, not including Britain's, have accepted many thousands of Ukrainian refugees. They've made it possible for families to host them in sort of informal and more formal programs. And that sort of speaks to the way that a government can, if it adopts a different kind of rhetoric, and puts in place actual programs to help refugees settle and encourages citizens to play a part in that and also to distribute them fairly around the country, then there are ways in which that question can be dealt with more successfully. You could also say, and fairly, that there's probably a different public attitude towards Ukrainians because they're from Europe, they're white, feels less alien to some people than the people from Middle East and Afghanistan who are predominantly the ones coming by boats. That's Certainly true, but I think it does point to the fact that governments can play a much more active role in the way that they try to bring their publics with them on the refugee Mm. question Mm. and and produce a more humane result.
4: I don't disagree with that, but I think we also have to be sort of honest and acknowledge that particularly Angela Merkel's policies were also part of the reason that there was a pretty enormous backlash from the right in Germany. And those policies more broadly did fuel a real backlash from the right and a lot of disquiet in European countries that people are, you know, whether we like it or not, triggered, scared of change to that extent. But that goes to your point of how governments can convince their citizenry and bring them with them.
3: Mm. It's difficult work. There are no easy answers, Mm. but there are possible ways forward if governments are thoughtful and imaginative and engaged in the problem of how refugees settle and actually want to try to make life better for them and for their own citizens and to integrate the two, which clearly the British government currently is not the approach they're taking.
0: Where does this end? Because just picking up on your point, Lenore, about the point of this being cruelty, you know, I, I was thinking our whole international system of human rights is based on the idea that a human life can never be used as a means
4: to an end. Does
0: this just upend that whole...? Yes,
4: yes, it does. That's the point. The point of offshore processing is to demonstrate to other people that should they take a particular course of action, they will have a cruel and dehumanising experience. That's the whole point of it, yes.
0: And is this going to be Australia's legacy to the
4: world? I hope not its only one. I think we have to remember and be honest about what we did and I think we need to be really clear that if the British government has a hope in hell of actually doing what they say they're going to do, that people need to understand that that is going to be cruel and that is going to be sitting on their national conscience.
0: Next, who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline and who is behind your online degree? Hey, Laura murphy here. At Guardian Australia, we want to make sure you're getting the news that matters in 2023. Our morning mail and afternoon update newsletters are short and capture the most important headlines of the day. If that sounds good, you can subscribe for free right now by visiting the Guardian homepage, searching Guardian Australia newsletters, or just downloading our app and you'll get daily notifications.
1: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments.
2: Now we
0: come to what we can't get out of our head. Lenore, what is it for you this week?
4: Uh, This week we did, uh, by we, I mean Ben Smee and Anne Davies, did this really interesting series on white label university courses. So they're basically courses where students are paying thousands of dollars for online courses that they think are being run by prestigious universities, but actually they're kind of like old courses that have been outsourced to for-profit companies and They're not really still run by the uni at all. So there's real questions about oversight, about whether they're up to date. The academics who did develop the course whenever it was developed are now allegedly running the course of long since left the institution in some cases. So I think there's real questions that we're raising about what students are actually paying for with those white label courses. Mm. Mike, what was it for you?
3: So I've been kind of transfixed by this story about who bombed the Nord Stream gas pipeline. Another Ukrainian-related story. This week, the New York Times and the German newspaper Die Zeit reported that a saboteur group had blown up the pipeline, and there are further investigations about five men and a woman who allegedly rented a yacht using false passports. I know it's certainly not by any means a light laughing matter what happened, but it does have the, all the elements of a kind of John would yeah, first, like a, yeah. A, sort of, a sort of mystery about who did what and why, because the Ukrainian government has denied that they had anything to do with it. It's allegedly a pro-Ukrainian group that did it, but then there are also other claims that actually... Russia had something to do with it. There are no obvious motives for either of them to have done it, or at least that and needs some, needs some unpacking. Uh, so, yeah, I'm eagerly awaiting more details on that.
0: Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks. Thanks, Lenore. Thank you, Gab. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening or leave us a rating or review if you can. Please read Ben Doherty's piece in The Guardian Australia from this week. We'll put a link to it in our show notes. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert and Camilla Hannan. The executive producer is me, Gabrielle Jackson. I hope you have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday. and help nations protect their sovereignty. Whether it's air ambulance services at home or evacuations overseas, our technology protects citizens, safeguards security, and aids responses to crises. At Airbus, we're pioneering sustainable aerospace for a safe and united world. Learn more at Airbus.com.